0: this and uh, because I'm very excited about this uh, this message in particular as we're moving forward in this series um, with uh, the forerunner series this was a message I was super pumped to get to I've enjoyed all of them. And uh, But I'm really excited about this. And we've looked at this thought the whole time. That the faith of those who have gone before us shows us what it means to know God better and trust Him more. We've over and over again have come back to this truth in Hebrews 12. 1 through 3, that therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And we have paused right there for seven weeks. And all of this, that these great cloud of witnesses... And this actually carries on, and it is exclamated and, and brought, to, brought to fullness right here. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy that set before him, he endured the cross. Scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart." I'm telling you that this thing of this living your life for God, it takes a lifetime. It's not living a moment for God. It's living your life. It's being a disciple. It takes a lifetime. I don't care how long you live. It's your whole life. It's every bit of oxygen that you breathe on this planet. It's a long time, and in anything that's a, that takes a long time, there's this moment that you can get weary. There are multiple moments that you can get weary and tired. And as we look at this, and we look at all those that have gone before us, we're going to focus today on Jesus. Because he's the one that was the best example to show us <clears throat> how to deal with our moments when we feel like giving up. And when you feel like giving up, keep your eyes on Jesus. We're going to study and look at how Jesus did it. And Jesus made seven statements while he was on the cross. And we're going to just quickly look at these seven statements and look and see how we can apply these to our lives when we're in our place that we want to give up and we want to throw in the towel and we want to quit. So this first one is honestly, I think it's one of the heaviest ones. And if you're in this moment today and you're in in this give up, frustrated moment that hits us off periodically, more than likely it's going to be tied to some sort of relational issue. Most of us get worn down, not by the humdrum of every day, but by the stresses of the relationships in our lives. And I think one of the first things we can do is we can look At what Jesus said on the cross in Luke 23. And we're going to look at that in just a second. But we need to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. There are people that sometimes it feels like it's their assignment. It's like they've made it their assignment to ruin your life. To jack with you. To mess with you. That it's like that's how they get their little joys in life. It's to just mess with things. And you have to be willing to let that go or else every, every poke, every barb, every little thing they do becomes one more thing that's attached to you that slows you down. You cannot get through life effectively without being a quick forgiver. You want to get, have your life come to a screeching halt emotionally and spiritually. Hold a grudge. I don't care how much you study the Bible. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how much you attend seminars and classes and read books on by the greatest Christian authors around. If you hold a grudge, you are going to stagnate. You're going to stop and you're going to feel like giving up. Luke twenty three thirty four says, <clears throat> Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Now the thing is, if you were to ask them in that moment, they're hearing it, he's saying it out loud. We don't get their retort, we don't get their reply, but I guarantee they go, we know what we're doing. We're killing a heretic. We're killing someone who was trying to drive people away from God when his assignment was to connect people to God. They thought they were doing a good thing. They thought that Jesus was some fake Messiah and that He had He had come and He made Himself something, and they They were convinced they knew exactly what they were doing, but Jesus saw the big picture. They didn't repent. They didn't say, oh, I feel so terrible about this, but we kind of have to do this. Let me stab you in the side. Let me drive this nail. I have to do this. I was ordered to. No, they were completely engaged in it. They didn't say, I'm sorry. They didn't repent. Jesus saw the big picture and forgave. Anyways, before they asked for it, before it he forgave. If you want to walk, be able to walk through life and be able to enjoy the fullness of the freedom that we have in Christ, you've got to be willing to be a quick forgiver and to let it go. Now that doesn't mean that all of a sudden the relationship is completely restored, or you give them authority or place to be able to barb you again, or that. But that what it means is that you're not going to hate them anymore. That you're not going to sit there and and keep that and allow it to stay attached to you. You're not going to secretly hope that something destructive and painful happens to them in retribution. In fact, you get to a place that you would you your prayers or you hope that they get connected with God, and that their life get transformed, and they get freed from that because their their eyes are clouded, and they don't really know what they're doing. Like, yes, they do. They did it on purpose. No, they don't really know what they're doing. They don't get it. They're, they're deceived. It's clouded. The next one we want to embrace and to really, really take in in strength is this place That when you're in your dark, ugly moment, we tend to want to throw a pity party and tend to want to get real introspective and and, and feel like everything needs to be focused. But I love how Jesus responded on the cross, and if you'll be willing to do this, it'll turn everything around and make a decision to help others who are experiencing your same struggle. Part of the reason that things like Celebrate Recovery are so powerful is one, they focus on Jesus and what he's done. And the other thing is, is there are people who are in the same struggle who are feeding each other and are helping each other out. That's why there are mothers of preschoolers groups because they identify with the deep frustrations that a a two-and-a-half-year-old can bring to your life. They get together and they share war stories and stains and broken things. Things they used to own before children came along. And they're able to encourage one another and find strength. And remember that this is really not about stuff, but about discipling kids and bringing them up. I don't care what it is you're going through. What it is you're going through. That we had a guy who was an amazing volunteer, an amazing part of our team for a number of years. A number of years. And we gave him, he was dealing with a lot of stuff. He had, he had been in, uh, in the Iraq war and had seen some horrible, horrible things there. And uh, had come back really, really scarred from it. And I'd spent a lot of time with him, counseling him and, and said all the right things. He talked to multiple people, said all the right. He was like, he's like, Pastor Brandon, I love y'all. Him and his family still come over and they visit with us. Tom, we have a great relationship. He said, I I just really feel like that there's another church in town that I need to be a part of. I said, man, go be a part of it. That's fantastic. You know, we love it. God sets members in the body as it pleases him. They don't hurt my feelings. And so he goes and gets connected with his church. And they had a group of men who were war veterans that this older man, tells him the exact same thing that he had already been told but says it in a way that he can connect with it because this guy's been through it and he said oh you don't it's too easy to go you don't you don't get my struggles it can't be that easy and when somebody who's been through it says it really is it, that's how it worked for me and then I'm telling you what his life transformed his life was completely shifted. All of that weight and all that stuff. He didn't have to deal with PTSD the rest of his life. He was delivered in that deal. And it was this, this thing. See, Luke 23. We move on to verse 39. And it says, One of the crim- criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't... <clears throat> Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered to him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. There couldn't have been another thing said to that man who was sentenced to death. That could bring more solace and peace and hope to that man than to have the Son of God say, this isn't the end. This isn't the end. They're in the same struggle, going through the same pain, dealing with the same thing. Jesus reaches over and ministers to one of these guys. You say I can't minister to anybody. I'm going through too much. No, I'm telling you, this you need to make a turn. And Isaiah 58:10, it'll be on the screen. I don't know that it's in your notes. And it says, "If you spend yourself," what amazing language, Isaiah 58:10. "If you spend yourself in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness." Your light in your darkness. The light that you need in your darkness. You spend yourself on behalf of somebody else who's hungry and oppressed and all this kind of stuff. All of a sudden light comes into your darkness and your night will become like the noonday. It's not you're going to be the light in the noonday in this oppressed person. No, you're helping them. But look what happens to your night. Look what happens to your struggle. Everything begins to turn around. That's why I love it that as soon as we become, we become Christ followers, we're immediately put into the thick of it. All you have to know is that Jesus is a Savior, and you have to believe in him, and you are ready to go to work. You don't have to go through years of training and mentorship and all that. All you have to do is when somebody asks you a question you don't know, say, I don't know, but I know Jesus, and I know he changes my life. And, we'll, and that's all you've got to do. And you can be a minister, and you're like, I'm still a mess. So What? Most of us are on some level. Most of us are. We still got stuff we're growing out of. We still got stuff we're progressing out of. We don't have to fake that stuff. Let's just be honest about where God is really at work in our lives and let him use that. Next thing is, is be sure that you've taken care of those closest to you. In our dark moments, in our tough days, Sadly, the people that get the brunt of it are friends and family. Dad has a hard day at work. Cracks open that door. Mom and the kids know the way his breathing patterns are, the way the stuff hits the ground, the way his footfalls hit. Whew. Stay back. It's been a rough one for Dad. Dad. And it's not that he's going to walk through the door and all of a sudden say, man, I just need some love. I just need that. Sadly, that pressure comes off. And the people that pay for somebody else's junk and somebody else's trash are the people closest to us. And when Jesus was in his dark moment, those that he was closest to, he took took care of them. Let's look at John 19 we have to look at all of the the gospels to be able to get all of the sentences and all these moments that jesus spoke on the cross and now we're in john 19 verse 26 and when jesus saw his mother there his mother is witnessing her son being executed i cannot imagine a more heinous thing on earth for a mom to endure and Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Jesus is dying. He is gasping for breath. He has the weight of the sin of humanity on him. And he's like, I need you to take care of my mom. I need you to take care. He was taking care of business, taking care of his mom on the cross. As he was in his darkest moment, he was tender with those who were closest to him. It's such a tragedy that the enemy will use the abuse and the junk that life does to us and get us frustrated and upset and have us carry that junk into our house and carry that junk into there. We've had these moments. Cutie's talked to me. And she's like, I don't know what happened, but we didn't do it. Like, you're right, babe. You're right, babe. You didn't do it. You didn't do it. You won't begin to see things turn around with luck. And Jesus just handled things so differently in the same spirit that lived in him and strengthened him lives in us and changes everything. The next thing we want to look at is that we need to lean on what God's word has already said about your struggle. God's word has already spoken to the stuff you're going through. It's already spoken to it. And we have this moment here. And if you don't understand the way the Jewish culture understood, we'll gloss over and we will miss it. Because we're not, we don't have the Psalms memorized like all of, all of them did. And Jesus is there and in Matthew 27 verse 46, one of the last things he says is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And as he is carrying this weight, and then the, the sin of the world has come upon him, it sounds like he is having just one big pity party. And is he surprised by the weight of it? I believe he really was. But the thing is, is he is quoting the opening line of Psalm 22 which speaks to the event that he is living at that moment. Let's just take a peek at it. Psalms twenty-two one says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? This sounds like this place where it's like, you've deserted me, I'm done. I, you, you, I'm out here all by myself. What are you doing to me, God? But it, it doesn't stop there. As David wrote prophetically, it doesn't stop there. Let's go ahead and look at verse 7 and 8. It says, All who see me mock me. They hurl insults. We just read where the, where they were, the guy hanging next to him hurled insults at him. That all of them, they, all of the people around him, taunted him. Said, Oh, aren't you the king of the Jews? Why don't you come down from your cross? They hurled insults at him, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. This is the psalm that's on Jesus' mind as he is in the middle of this. But it doesn't end there. We go on to verse 16 and 18. It says, dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garments. And this is exactly how it went down. And this is what's on Jesus' mind. In the middle of his struggle, what was prophetically said by David is what is on his mind, but it doesn't end there we go on to verse 22 it says I will declare your name this is what it's all about this is what it's all is coming to I will declare your name to my people in the assembly I will praise you you who fear the Lord praise him all you descendants of Jacob honor him revere him all you descendants of Israel for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one he has not hidden his face from him but has listened to his cry for help i may feel like he doesn't hear me but i have a promise in his word about this moment that he has heard me that he is with me and he is right in the middle of this i have a promise about this moment and then we, he closes it out in Psalms 22, 30 through 31. It says, Posterity. All of those who are yet to be born. All those who are, who are coming in the future. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. He is thinking about you and me in this moment. That we're being told about the completed work of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Future generations will be told. That's us. And the kids that come after us and the generations that come after if Jesus continues to tarry, it just he, it, that's what's on his mind. They will proclaim who's, his righteousness. Whose righteousness? The afflicted one. They'll proclaim that Jesus is righteous, declaring to a people yet unborn that he has done it. That was what was on his mind when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That entire Psalm 22. And that word was stuck in his heart. It was rolling in there. And as in the middle of his darkest, ugliest moments, he was meditating and and hanging on to what was already said about his struggle. This is why we spend time in the word. This is why we do these different things. I I don't know where Nat and Kim are, if they've already had to go or not, but they've been here, and thank you for every prayer that's gone to them. But I tell you what, I've got to have a couple of meals with them and spend some time with them in this, and it has been amazing to watch as all of their time with God and all this has given them these reserves of hope and strength in the middle of this fight with their daughter. As when they look at her, and it doesn't matter what the machines are doing, it doesn't matter what anything says. The hope and the promise is what's already been said about this struggle, is what already done. That she's going to get up out of that sick bed, and it is she's going to come, and she's going to be in in she's going to be with us, worshiping again, and being a part of this ministry one more time. So that's what this is about. The next thing we need to re- think about is be human enough to acknowledge your need. John 19, 28, 29 says, later knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled. He is saying this on purpose. Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there so that they soaked a sponge in it. And put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. There's a prophetic word that was already given that said that they would give him vinegar to drink. That same psalm that we just looked at, Psalm 22, in verse 15. It says, my mouth is dried up like a pot's herd and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And you lay me in the dust of the death. He acknowledged it and he needed help. I thirst, give me a drink. So many times we want to think that we've got to carry all of this weight on our own shoulders and to move through this on ourselves. And there are times that we just, when you're in your dark moment, say, Hey, I need some help. Instead of sitting over in, in a dark corner wishing someone would help, just acknowledge it. Say, I need some help. I need some help. Next, the truth is, is that we need to be assured that there is a purpose and an end. The second to last thing Jesus said was John 19, 30. It is finished. Remember, Psalm 22 closed with he has done it. Here, Jesus says it's finished. Now you can go and proclaim what Psalm 22 said. He's done it. Because I just finished it. It is over. Second Corinthians four sixteen through seventeen says, Therefore don't lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And of course, Romans 8:28, who so many of us know by heart and cling to, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. I tell you what, God is such a master at directing our lives that there isn't anything that the enemy or life or our own poor decisions can throw at us that God can't turn around and make it magnificent. Not just functional It is amazing that we can look up and there is no trash of our lives on the cutting floor. None of it. He's used it all. You're like, God, I wasted this entire period of my life. And he says, no, I'm going to use it over here. And I'm going to minister to this person through this over here. And I'm going to be able to bring this about. And as we're going in the middle of it, whether someone is doing it to you or you're living out the consequences of your own foolishness, and so many of us have had to do that. We have the promise that there is an end and a purpose and God can bring about something glorious in it. And as we close, we need to have this on our minds. We need to finally surrender your life. Surrender that ugly day to God and let it go. Jesus' final words, what I believe is the greatest statement of faith ever uttered, ever. As he has already had his moment, he has carried the weight of sin and death on his shoulders. And he feels so disconnected from Papa God. And he makes this statement and he says, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I am trusting you in this. And he breathes his last. And he gave it and he surrendered it. He let God have it. So many times we want to just pack it on and trudge through. So many times we say, you know what, I deserve it. I chose this, I deserve it. I can't ask God to take it off of me, I was the one that did it. Uh Uh-uh. No. He loves you. That's what redemption is about. That's what the new life in Christ is about is about the fact that he takes the weight of sin and shame and he carries it all and he gives us new life. And we have to be willing to let him give it to us. We have to surrender it over to him. We have to deeply remember this, this truth we have said over and over and over in this series. That God is so for us. He is so amazingly for us that we need to make the decision to have run with perseverance the race that's marked out for us. God's got amazing stuff for you. Don't give up. Let God carry you through this. Let his grace reinvigorate you and give you the hope and the strength that you need and move forward because there is an end. There is a hope. There is a future. God, is so amazing. I want us to just <clears throat> shift right here, right now, and I want to create a quiet moment. Those who are here today and maybe say, you know what, Brandon, I always thought this Christian thing, I always thought it was saying, God, I, I'm sorry, and I'll do better. Give me one more try. And I recognize today that that's not what this is about at all. I recognize it's not about a do-over. It's about a be-over. He's going to make me new. And I believe that Jesus Christ fully paid it. When he said, it is finished, it was finished. He's not asking me to finish something too. He finished it. And I believe that today. And I recognize that I need a Savior and Jesus is him. And I place my faith in him today. And if that's you, I want you to just lift your hand up. And we want to pray with you. that's you in T9 to be people over there yes awesome believers i just ask you to just lift your voices the bible says that with the heart you believe if you've believed it you've already stepped over from death to life and i just want to pray this prayer with you as you just just speak it out these aren't magic words this is just something i'm going to tell you and just make it your own say heavenly